Welcome back to another episode of the Abide in the Word podcast. We're your hosts, Lauren Dick and Mike Hovland. It's nice for you guys to join us again, and we appreciate that. Um, today's episode is one that I think is very important in our view of salvation. Um, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of eternal security, or also known as the perseverance of the saints. And so for this episode, we'll be looking at the promise of eternal security, the promise of the perseverance of the saints, the, uh, in, in, uh, what it's rooted in, where it's found in scripture and, and digging through that. And so Pastor Mike will be providing quite a bit of teaching on that in this episode. And I'm excited for that. Um, before we get started, we'd like to just give a quick shout out to our friend and brother from our church, Damien Lowen, who has been gracious in building a bit of a studio in his basement downstairs in his brand new house. And in that he's put together a bit of a recording studio and he has put together a room and area for us to record a podcast in. It's a beautiful room. Um, Big table, mics, everything. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, leather, leather, leather table here that he built and shelves and soundproofing. And it's, it really is amazing. So thank you very much, Damien. We appreciate it. So as we get into this doctrine, eternal security, it's a doctrine that, and uh, in a lot of areas, and I know especially maybe in the culture in which we're ministering and in, in the Crete and Grace Bible Fellowship, um, it's very common to believe that you can lose your salvation, that salvation is something that lies uh, within our works, the maintenance of it, to the keeping of our salvation. And just an example, I'll, I'll give an analogy that you may hear. And it's an analogy of a road trip. You're on the road, you're heading towards your destination. So as long as you stay on your road, you can know where you're going. Hence, yeah, we can have assurance but you don't know if you'll actually stay on the road. You may veer off the road. You may have an accident. Something may happen, or by your own volition, you may choose to leave the road. Hence, you are no longer heading towards a final destination. And in this analogy would be similar to losing your salvation. So it's kind of the idea that we can have assurance of salvation as long as we're doing the right things, saying the right things. And I think the problem with that is we often see that lean towards a legalistic approach in trying to maintain our salvation in dress, in tradition, in, in a lot of different things that that applies to. And so through, through this episode and, and probably the next one, what uh, it'll probably carry over into two in which in the second episode we'll be addressing more of of maybe the objections to eternal security, perseverance of the saints. Um, some of the scripture passages, Pastor Michael addressed them that, that people may use to prove otherwise. And just kind of look at that and see what do they actually mean. For an example, Hebrews 6, which is a, a popular one in that regard. So as we're talking about perseverance of the saints, we may hear things like, um, you know, the Bible talks about us being overcomers, Right? He who overcomes. In fact, Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. 
So it kind of gives the sense that maybe, well, if this is for those who overcome, then obviously there's going to be those who don't overcome. And again, referencing then to those who may potentially lose their salvation. And I would just like to address that one here with 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we see even there, you know, at a broader look at Scripture and how we would maybe approach it as a systematic theology, looking at what all of Scripture says about a certain doctrine. And in a case like this, we see clearly that the overcomers aren't those who don't fall away and lose their salvation, but an overcomer is simply a child of God, is someone who is saved. And they will overcome. Yeah. If you're born again, you're going to overcome. And what is it that overcomes? It's our faith, faith that was given us by God. And actually, all of those promises at the end of Revelation 3 there to the churches are um, are promises to the true believer. Right. And so there's this acknowledgement that there's not everyone who professes faith in, faith in Christ is a, a genuine believer and will overcome. And so there's this warning to uh, to really make sure that we are true believers. Right. And so with that, as we move forward and we start looking at some of these things and uh, digging deeper into this doctrine, just as a bit of more introduction on it, uh, just to define a little bit some terms, um, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about the security of the believer, eternal security, or again, also referenced in most of our uh, episode today will be the perseverance of the saints. And so when we think of security, when we think of security of our salvation, what we're talking about is I am saved and he, God, will keep me until I see him face to face. The security of my salvation rests in the power of God. It's different though closely linked with assurance. When we speak of assurance of salvation, the assurance is the confidence that I have in my mind of my salvation. And these are some short definitions that John MacArthur gives in a short episode on YouTube where he actually answers the question regarding assurance of salvation and makes that distinction. So our persevering, our security rests in God. Our assurance is the confidence we have in our own mind um, about our salvation. And we'll address that in a future episode where we'll look at the assurance of salvation, what this looks like and how we can have it though we often struggle. So going into perseverance of the saints. R.C. Sproul says that he has a bit of an issue with the term perseverance of the saints. Not, not a big one, but just that he, um, he believes that the term persevering suggests that the persevering is something that we do in and of ourselves. So we need to properly understand what we're talking about, which will be answered today. But he goes on, and I quote R.C. Sproul, Saints who are called and justified by God do persevere, but they do so not because they are so diligent in their making use of the mercies of God, but the only reason we can give why any of us continues on in the faith, even till the last day, is not because we have persevered so much as that it is because we have been preserved. So he says that he prefers the term the preservation of the saints because we are kept in a state of grace as accomplished by God. 
And we see the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So this enduring in the faith is not something that rests upon our strength. Even after we're regenerated, we still lapse into sin, and sometimes we would all agree into quite serious sin as well. True Christians can have radical and serious falls, but never total and final falls from grace. So that's what we're talking about in regards to perseverance of the saints. Yeah, is it something that 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 God does, or is it something that that we do? And uh, ultimately, we would say it's something God does. Mm-hmm. And yet, we'll see, and we'll, sp- we'll especially focus on this next time. It is something that we we must do as well, but we do it by the power of God, exactly. by the grace of God. It's and, it's not in and our of our own flesh, and where we might see, see a more legalistic approach to something like this, where. It's us doing certain things that makes it possible for us to be saved or, or kept saved, but it's by the power of God. And I think of the uh, James, where he talks about, you know, show me, show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my through my works, by my works. But the idea anyway is, is the true believer perseveres through how we live, how we respond to God and his word, right? One quick quote here from the book Mere Calvinism by Jim Scott Oreck. He says, The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is rooted in the astounding teaching of the Bible that the kind of secure eternal life that everyone has in heaven commences on earth in every person who receives Christ as Lord and Savior. So again, just a beautiful promise there about this doctrine of perseverance of the saints that It's not just something for us to look forward to in eternity, but something that already commences inside of us, something that, as a believer, we already have. And with that, I want to hand it over to you, Pastor Mike, to continue with this episode as we start looking at the perseverance of the saints. Okay. Well, uh, I thought, just kind of thinking about this whole thing and the, the what are we asking here, just a few a few little things on that. Uh, Herman Bavink says, the, the question with respect to this doctrine of perseverance is not whether those who have obtained a true saving faith could not, if left to themselves, lose it again by their own fault and sins, nor whether sometimes all the activity, boldness, and comfort of faith actually ceases and faith itself goes into hiding under the cares of life and the delights of the world. He says, the question is whether God upholds continues and completes the work of grace he has begun or whether he sometimes permits it to be totally ruined by the power of sin so we're not really asking so much about ourselves but we're asking what is god doing here does he uphold continue and complete the work of grace that he's begun Mm -hmm. or could somebody lose their salvation Uh, again john murray asks a question about this whole thing and he says in order to place the doctrine of perseverance in proper light, we need to know what it is not. It does not mean that everyone who professes faith in Christ and who is accepted as a believer in the fellowship of the saints is secure for eternity and may entertain the assurance of salvation. Then he goes on and he says, the question remains, will the saints persevere? Is it so ordained by God that those who do truly believe in Christ will persevere to the end? And Murray says the answer to this is emphatically 
yes. So that's what we're asking. Can a, can a believer lose his salvation? Or is, is, is that an impossibility? Um, so let's, let's go to the scripture. What do we mean by the perseverance of the saints? And actually, I've got a couple of definitions here. Um, Lauren, do you, do you maybe have that one by John Murray? The definition of perseverance. The doctrine of perseverance is the doctrine that believers persevere. It cannot be too strongly stressed that it is the perseverance of the saints. And that means that the saints, those united to Christ by the effectual call of the Father and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, will persevere unto the end. If they persevere, they endure, they continue. It is not at all that they will be saved irrespective of their perseverance or their continuance, but that they will assuredly persevere. Consequently, the security that is theirs is inseparable from their perseverance. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's really important for us to realize is that there's this this connection between salvation and perseverance. And so we're we're not, you know, the perseverance of the saints, this doctrine doesn't at all teach that um, you know, kind of what, what I would say called maybe the bad view of this once saved, always saved. Right. Um, you know, even rolls off the tongue a little <laughs> ugly yeah. with the way it's perceived, right? Yeah. Once saved, always saved. And then, and then, you know, you've told me, Lauren, people in, in our community will kind of take that doctrine and almost see it as a license to sin. Yes. And that is where I think so many people actually are turned off by the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, the doctrine of eternal security, because it's viewed as, you know, the once saved, always saved, right? Um, I walked the aisle. I lifted my hand after a, a revival meeting. I, I said the prayer, um, all things that the scripture does not tell us, right? And so someone may do that in, a, in the heat of emotion, um, say the prayer, weeping around a, you know, often popular in a, in a youth event or something like that walk the aisle after an emotional appeal and and they get assured now you're saved and once you're saved don't let anybody ever tell you you're not right and so the person continues on living in a state of sin a state of unbelief essentially you know maybe goes to church on sunday maybe dresses differently maybe doesn't drink so much anymore or not at all like a lot of these kinds of things but when it comes to their faith nothing has changed and yet well, once saved, always saved. So they continue to live however they want. Uh, sin is often unrepented of. There's no real sense of urgency in that. It's kind of um, used as a comfort to live in sin rather than a call out of sin. And I think there, and rightfully so, when people have that idea of once saved, always saved, or eternal security, or perseverance of the saints, it does create big doctrinal issues, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, John Murray, it is, it is not at all that they will be saved irrespective of their perseverance or continuance, but that they will assuredly persevere. And so there's a big difference there that, that what we're talking about is that a true believer will persevere by God's grace, by God's power, and they will continue and endure to in the faith, right? They will continue believing and living like a Christian and following the Lord and what, what what this doctrine teaches, though, is that they will assuredly 
persevere. And there's a huge difference there. The, and, 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 w- and next time we're going to look at the scriptures that show that if you are saved, you, you must persevere. You, you know, you will persevere. But today what we want to do is just look at some of these scriptures that, that, that guarantee that a believer will persevere. Good. All right. So, um, again, when we're talking about perseverance of the saints, sometimes different groups use different words. I like, I like what R.C. Sproul said, the preservation of the saints, eternal security, security of the believer, the little slogan, once saved, always saved. Um, mo- most of these things are, are, are really talking about the same thing. Uh, but okay, let, I want to give you at least one more definition here because, because what we're going to basically follow Wayne Grudem's definition as far as the outline of it. And this is what Wayne Grudem says. He says, the perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And thus, only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. And he says, this definition has two parts to it. It indicates first that there is assurance to be given to those who are truly born again, for it reminds them that God's power will keep them as Christians until they die, and they will surely live with Christ in heaven forever. On the other hand, the second part of the definition makes it clear that continuing in the Christian life is one of the evidences that a person is truly born again. It is important to keep this aspect of the doctrine in mind as well, lest false assurance be given to people who are never really believers in the first place. So here, just to jump in a little bit, the argument may come then, well, if those who persevere are only those who truly, are those who truly saved are only those who actually persevere to the end. How how can we have assurance then? And, and, and I understand that, concept in the degree that you know the the argument would be if you're only saved if you persevere till the end well then until the day you die and you only persevered until then that's the only way you can know that you were actually saved um and i just wanted to throw that in there we don't necessarily we won't be answering that per se specifically here today but just to address that after the, these next few episodes regarding perseverance of the saints eternal security and then also looking at the assurance of the believer the assurance of, of our salvation I think that should all become clear and be answered in that. So I just wanted to throw that in there because as we were reading through that definition of Wayne Grudem's, um, that's how some may respond to something like that, that if it's if you only know you persevered until the day you died and you didn't leave, then, well, how do you ever know you persevered? Because you might actually leave. So, and, and, and what I would say to that just quickly is that, that what we're looking for then is evidence of the new birth in our life. And when we see that evidence of the new birth, we can know that we are born again, even as, as first John tells us, right? That Mm -hmm. I've written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And what is he pointing to all the signs of the new birth in our life, of the transformation of the gospel in our life. Amen. Loving our brothers, loving Christ, obeying Christ, following his commandments. A lot of those, all of those things. Yeah. And so now I'm looking forward to that episode as well. Okay, great. Well, let's let's kind of get to some of the scriptures then here, and uh, you know I I don't know the first place that that I wanted to start here is Ephesians chapter one, and there's a great passage there Ephesians one, thirteen and fourteen. So if you would if you would read that for us, Lauren, that'd be great. 
So in Ephesians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Okay, great. So, so we were sealed, and I'm, I'm reading from the, uh, the New American Standard here, but we were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And, and that word sealed there indicates that God is the owner of the believer. Uh, Peter O'Brien in his commentary on Ephesians says this about that word there. He says, In speaking of the Holy Spirit as the seal, the notions of ownership and protection are in view. Cattle and even slaves were branded with a seal by their masters to indicate to whom they belonged. And in this sense, the seal was a protecting sign or a guarantee. And so there's this this seal that the Holy Spirit is in our life. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are marked as belonging to God. Uh, And then Paul says that the Spirit is given as a pledge. Now, how does it say that again in in the, the ESV? I should open up here to the ESV. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So, okay, so they they use the word sealed uh, in the second case. So, in him you, this is the ESV now, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And then in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? So, that first word, sealed, shows that we belong to him. Now the Holy Spirit is a, a guarantee. And this word, their guarantee, is uh, erebon in, in the Greek. And it's a, it's a really cool word. It's, it's part of a, a payment. So uh, like a down payment, right? If, if, I, if I make a, um, a down payment like this, I am promising that the rest is forthcoming. And it's actually a, a legal thing. And so when I make a this this Arabone payment, I am I am guaranteeing that the, the rest is forthcoming. And so it's a, an obligation to make further payments. And so the idea here is that the Holy Spirit is a a promise, a guarantee, kind of like the first payment as a pledge of our inheritance. And the idea is then is that that God has given us the Holy Spirit as this initial promise that the rest of our salvation, the rest of our eternal inheritance is going to be forthcoming in the future. Mm-hmm. And you can just think uh, God who is true and cannot lie, if he makes a down payment promise, he's not going to go back on his payment. Exactly. And there too, we may be tempted to listen to that analogy of of a down payment and think, yeah, but Pastor Mike, I can forfeit my mortgage if I stop making payments, even if I made a down payment, right? And so likewise, again, and so again, those kinds of arguments get made, but they're viewed from a fleshly perspective where, just like you said, this is God who is true, who is all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent. He is the one making this promise, this pledge. He is the one making this down payment and the guarantee of final purchase, right? And so he cannot go back on that. Yeah. So there's security again in knowing that it's God we're talking about, not 
us as human. Yeah. And, it, you know, even if you just kind of go a little bit before this whole section, you know, what started this whole thing is in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 is that he chose us. And uh, in verse 11, it talks about how he works all things according to the, the counsel of his will. Uh, and so the, the God who has kind of ordained this and planned this whole salvation from before the foundation of the world, he has made a, a payment to us that, that's a guarantee and uh, he is not going back on his guarantee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne Grudem says about that, he says, all who have the Holy Spirit within them, all who are truly born again, have God's unchanging promise and guarantee that the inheritance of eternal life in heaven will certainly be theirs. God's own faithfulness is pledged to bring it about. And uh, and that that whole thing with the Holy Spirit, I think is is backed up even further with John 14, 16. And actually, if you, if you would have that for us, Lauren, Lauren, John 14, 16, and 17. So John 14, 16, and 17 reads, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides in you and will be in you. Great. Now, I don't know if everyone would would have caught that in the recording, but how long was the Holy Spirit going to be with the believer? Forever. Forever. So there's the, the, the promise of the Spirit by Jesus, and Paul just kind of takes that up and says, yeah, you were sealed with the Spirit. He's the down payment, and uh, he's going to be with us forever, and uh, that means we're going to be with him in heaven forever as well. Now, one of the the great places to see the the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is actually in John chapter 6. And and really, let's just do a kind of a a tour through some of the great verses in John. Uh, John 6, 37, 38, 39, even all the way to verse 40. Great verses on on this doctrine. Maybe, have you got those for us, Lauren? Yes, I have them ready here. Starting in John chapter 6, verse 36. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, great. So there's a a group of people that Jesus is talking about, and it's all that the Father has given me. And that's in verse 39, all that the Father has given me. And this group of people are, are further described as true believers in verse 40. This is the will of the Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And both of these people, those who believe, those who have been given, Jesus says they're going to be raised up on the last day. And to be raised up on the last day is is really the same thing as having eternal life. Mm-hmm. Now when we think about who would be all those that the Father has given to Jesus, 
it's going to be um, those who were chosen before the foundation of the world. Right. Those people that were chosen, they've been given. They're a, they're a gift from the Father to the Son. And the will of the Father is that Jesus is going to raise these up on the last day so that they can live with Christ as his bride for all of eternity. Hmm. Uh, they have eternal life. Well, we face an important question even there just in that passage. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And then Jesus says in verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And I think we face an important question here. If we're going to accept the doctrine that we can lose our salvation, well, did Christ fail then? Mm-hmm. Did Christ fail in what he came and was sent by the Father to accomplish? Because if he came to fulfill the will of the Father, which he says, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, then we have to be very careful in answering that. Yes, Christ succeeded. It is finished, were his words. He he accomplished what he was sent to do. And then he tells us in verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. And if that is speaking of our salvation, then, and, and I can be personal here, Mike, this passage was the one that fully rooted this doctrine in my mind. Hmm. Again, having grown up in a in a culture um, where the belief that losing your salvation is is quite common, it was something that I wrestled with and battled with for a long time. But it was this specific passage and that exact thought process that really affirmed it for me. Did Christ fail? No. No. Because if he failed, none of us can have assurance. None of us can be sure of salvation or anything. Because if he failed in one sense, he could have failed in a thousand others. So the answer is no. And if he did not, then he is so gracious and tells us what this will is. That is to raise us up on the last day. And in that, right, such a, just a personal passage for me in that sense, and that growth for me and maturation in this doctrine. So just wanted to. And, And like even... It's not even Christ who would fail then, but if Christ came to do the will of the Father, then it's the Father failing and Christ failing. And, and actually, exactly. when you think about this, the, it's, it's part of the Holy Spirit's work to draw these people. The whole Trinity is going to be a failure. Right. It, and, uh, and that's a horrible thought. Well, but there, <laughs> There's no hope then, right? Yeah. Yeah. If, if God can't do it, then, uh, you know, we're out of luck. Which kind of <laughs> raises some irony as well. Well, you know, God couldn't do it, so, but I can. Hmm. That, that does, you know, even just in that thought there, it, yeah. it, it does exalt man a little bit too high for my own comfort, yeah. especially when we know our own failings and our own weaknesses, right? Yeah. I love what MacArthur said lots of times that if, if I could lose my salvation, I would. Yes. And uh, I think we all should have that kind of a, an understanding of our own sinfulness and depravity. It's not us who were. You know, who salvation depends on, salvation is of the Lord. Well, and in, in that earlier quote that I read in the introduction with from R.C. Sproul, we all fall into sin and sometimes very radical and serious sin, right? So we we trust and depend on the grace of God and the power of God in in keeping us. Now, yeah, twice in this passage, Jesus says that he will raise it up. And, and he's talking about the one who believes and the one who's been given to him by the Father. Those, those people he will raise up on the last day and they will have 
eternal life. And, and of course, and again, don't miss that. Verse 39, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. And that, and that's uh, an emphatic, there's, there's no loss here. There's mm-hmm. a group the father has given that same group. He's not going to lose any of those. That same group is going to be raised up on the last day. And of course, that raising up on the last day is speaking of eternal life. Uh, I like what John Murray says about that. He says, are we to entertain even the remotest suspicion that this will of the Father will be defeated? Jesus here assures us that it will not. Mm -hmm. And of course, that goes with verse 37 before that, that, that all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And note that word all, all that the Father gives, they're going to come, they're going to be raised up. And so there's a, a guarantee here of perseverance. And such a comfort in a verse like that as well. All the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. He won't cast us out. He also won't lose us. He will. I will lose none of them. So it's, there is no possibility of us forsaking our own salvation. Because then he would be losing us, mm-hmm. right? If he had us and we forsake it, he is losing us. And he says he, he he won't. He will lose none of them. He will not cast them out. So in and of God, through the Trinity, through through Christ, and in and of ourselves, there's no way that we can be separated from that, right? Yeah, that's great. Well, let's keep going in John and let's go to John ten twenty seven. And we could read to verse 29 there, John 10, 27 to 29. He writes, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Great. So here we have the Lord. He says, you know, Again, th- this is that idea that, that these people will come to him. All that the Father gives me will come to me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And so there's this group here. Again, this, these, these, his sheep, he calls them. They're never going to perish. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so it's kind of like this this double hand holding mm-hmm. us up here. Uh, the, the hand of Christ and the hand of the Father, they're holding these people. They have eternal life. They're not going to be lost. Uh, they will never perish. Now, Wayne Grudem has, has talked about this passage, and, and I just like the way that he puts it. He says, some... Some have objected to this, that even though no one else can take Christians out of Christ's hand, we might remove ourselves from Christ's hand. But that seems to be quibbling over words. Does not no one also include the person who is in Christ's hand? Moreover, we know that our own hearts are far from trustworthy. Therefore, if the possibility remained that we could remove ourselves from Christ's hand, the passage would hardly give the assurance that Jesus intends by it. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the fact there that in verse 28 where he says, they will never perish. 
you know, you, you're not falling out of his hand then, right? If, if we fell out of his hand, if I was able to remove myself from Christ and the Father's hand, if I was excluded from the no one that could do that, then I would surely perish. And if exactly. I perish, Christ's promise has perished. And, uh, and of course, that can never be. Exactly. And, you know, I like how Grudem put it, you know, a quibble with words. Does not no one also include the person who is in Christ's hand? Absolutely it does. If no one can, that includes me, you, and, and everyone else, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we're not we're not excluded from this no one, right? Of course, mm-hmm. Satan, no, nobody. Exactly. No one. And, uh, you know, just to kind of do a little little fun Greek stuff here with, with Greek, and in verse 28, I, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. That's a... That's an ume, uh, that's the strongest negative in the Greek language. They will not never perish. That's kind of the, you know, it's a double not there, which in Greek emphasizes it even stronger. They will never perish and no one's able to snatch them out of, out of my hand. So just a great promise. Absolutely. And even in just these few verses and promises, you know, as we're continuing to go through this, we see again how those who are truly saved, how assurance really is available through this doctrine, right? Like it, it really builds on a good understanding of our security in Christ based on the work of Christ and the power of God. Hmm. All right, well, um, let's go to, uh, it's really a, a quite a long passage here, but let's go to Romans chapter 8. And, uh, you know, I, I guess verse one, just kind of as, as just a stop on the way by there, there's, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so if we are in Christ, there is, there is no condemnation for us, nor will there ever be Mm -hmm. condemnation for us, which is what would happen if we lost our salvation and, and ended up in hell, right? We are, we are in Christ because of the father. And his work of salvation, uh, we have been, it, you know, uh, uh, Coloss- uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 31, I think, it'd be, because of him you are in in Christ. We better, I guess I can't just leave that and, and give the wrong passage there. So let's... 1 <laughs> First, First Corinthians First, 1, 31? I, I think so. Let's see. No, not 1 Corinthians 1, 31. <laughs> 30, right? Yeah, that's the one I was thinking about. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. And you can read it if you've got it there. Yeah, I have it here. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And there it is really clearly. Because of him, who's him there? Well, it's God from the, the previous verse. The reason of this is so that no one could boast in the presence of God. And so it's because of God's work that we're in Christ. And if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but as we continue through Romans chapter eight, we see this, this just amazing section of, of, of promises. Uh, and, and, you know, I always like, where do we want to start here? Well, I, <laughs> we could, we could really start in verse uh, 28, I guess, if you want to, if you want to just maybe read 28 to 30 for now, Lauren. Sure. So Romans eight twenty-eight, and we know that for those who love God, 
all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, John Murray, just uh, to follow him a little bit here, he says, Here we have an unbreakable chain of events, proceeding from God's eternal purpose and foreknowledge and predestination to the glorification of the people of God. It's impossible to remove calling from this setting. The called are called according to purpose, verse 28. The purpose is antecedent to calling. So he's saying the, the purpose goes before calling. So God has a purpose that's, that's a, a predestining purpose. And that purpose then includes calling us, drawing us to, to him, uh, you know, saving us, we might think about it. And, uh, and then John Murray goes on and he says, moreover, just as calling has its antecedents and foreknowledge and predestination, so it has its consequence in justification and glorification. And mm. so there's this, this chain that God predestined and foreknew. And of course, that's not looking down the quarters of time. That's, that's a, a, a loving knowledge of the people that were, that he was going to save. And, um, and maybe we'll have to do an episode on that at some point, but, but, um, God's, God knows these people before he's predestined, he's chosen them. And, and now in time he calls them. And if they're called, they're going to be justified. That means that, that because justification is by faith to be, to be called includes the gift of faith. And now they're justified by faith. And then if they're justified, they're going to be glorified. And so that same group here goes all the way through. If you were chosen, predestined, you're right. called. If you're called, you're justified. If you're justified, guess what? You're going to be glorified. And, and what is glorification? It's talking about our e- eternal state in heaven, in, in perfection. And so there's this, the unbreakable chain of salvation right there in Romans eight twenty eight. But then from that then, verse 31, well, what then shall we say to these things? What are we going to say? Well, how about if you continue from there for us, Lauren? What are we going to say, Paul says? And, and here's what, he's, what, what we say, verse 31, kind of continuing on in the second part there. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we were being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. And so that's that's what we say to those things. If, if there's this unbreakable chain of salvation that starts with predestination and ends in glorification, then 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 God is the one who justifies who's going to condemn us. Christ died for us and was raised and is at the right hand of God. He's interceding for us. He's he's praying for us. And so Paul says, well, what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? And, and he just kind of lists almost everything that you could possibly think of. And he says that we are more than conquerors through the one who loved us. Christ loved us. He died for us. And we're going to overcome. And, and there's nothing in all of creation that's going to be able to separate us from this love of Christ. And so... so um, you know, I, I love John Murray said that we could we could rest the the entire argument for the doctrine of perseverance on this one passage, and uh, I think he's right there. Uh, there's this is an amazing passage, an amazing promise, and of course, we are created. We're not going to be able to overcome this. Are you know are we stronger than God? Of course, we're not. So, um, great passage Romans eight. The whole point of this passage is to give us. Um, assurance of the work of Christ in our salvation. Uh, another place I, I like to go here is First uh, Peter chapter one verses verses uh, three to five. So in First Peter chapter one verses three to five, the Apostle Peter writes, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Great. So we can just kind of go through this, maybe asking some questions. Uh, If we look at verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Now, we would ask, well, who is Peter talking about? Who who are these people who by God's power are being guarded through faith? And the answer is, in verse 3, those who are born again. The reason there that we're born again, according to Peter, is that, that God has caused us to be born again. So God mm. has caused these people to be born again, and now... They are being kept by God's power. They are being kept by God's power. Now that that word there, guarded, or or I just even translated it kept, but that that word there, guarded, means to to keep from escaping and to protect from attack. And so both kind of sides of that meaning are are in that word guarded, kept from escaping protected from a cat. I, I like that kept from escaping because sometimes people mm-hmm. want to say, well, we can escape. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. God's keeping us from escaping and right. he's protecting us from attacks from those fiery darts of the devil or whatever the devil wants to throw at us from tribulation, persecution, you know, famine, nakedness, sword, all of those things we're being protected. And look at, look at what's protecting us there. It's not some kind of flimsy shack or something. It's God's omnipotent, almighty power that's keeping us amen such a powerful passage in that regard right and and notice the time frame there they are kept or or being guarded through
through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, we're being, we're being guarded until the end, until that, till we, we see that salvation that God has planned for us. We're being kept until then, and we're being kept through faith. And this is where the, the necessity of, of perseverance comes in. We are, we are kept and the, the means of that keeping is that we're going to continue to believe. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important as well in that passage. Um, Wayne Grudem says on this passage, he says, their attainment, and he's talking about the people that Peter's talking about, their attainment of final salvation ultimately depends on God's power. And Grudem also notes that, that God doesn't guard us apart from our faith, but only by working through our faith so that he enables us to continue to believe in him. Mm-hmm. And that's important to this whole doctrine of, of preservation. If we want to say the way R.C. Sproul said, we're, we're kept through faith and not separate from faith. We're not, we're not protected without faith, right? We're protected through faith. And so God's enabling us to continue. Now, I was just going to bring up, I think I had a little bit more on that, on that verse there. That's such an important thing there too, to remember again, right? Just to, just to emphasize on that, that it's not apart from our faith. And that's just something that to anyone who is listening to this and may even be in disagreement with some of these things. You know, we're not talking about living as you wish, as you want, apart from faith. You know, we, we, we again reference the book of James. Faith without works is dead. True saving faith produces works, produces obedience, produces um, love. It produces a lot of these things, right? The fruit of the Spirit we see often listed in that way. And we're not talking about just uh, a simple acknowledgement either that, that God exists. You know, James also said the demons believe and they tremble, right? We're not mm-hmm. talking about that kind of belief. We're, yeah. not, we're talking about a true faith, not just where we possess the word in our head, but where the word possesses us in our heart, where we are truly redeemed, where we are truly his children. That kind of faith that changes us, it produces repentance, produces good works. Yeah, it transforms our life. And, and we who are in Christ have Christ in us. And he's a he's gonna conquer in our life. He's gonna overcome sin. He's gonna transform us. And and not only is he in us, but even like we saw in Romans eight, he's he's praying for us from heaven, interceding on our behalf. Who else do we? You know, we often we gain confidence and comfort in asking someone to pray for us, right? Other believers, the church, yeah, and rightfully so. It's there's a there's a great blessing in that. But we must remember that just like that, right? Jesus Himself is interceding for us continually. He is praying for us yeah. as his, as God's children. In the midst of all the, the trials and all the, the all, all of the difficulties of life, what, you know, if we could hear Christ praying for us, what a, <laughs> what a blessing that would be. But that, you know, that reminds me of, of Luke 22, where, uh, verse 31 to 33, where, where, um, Simon Peter right is uh, is going to be tested, and uh, Jesus says, "Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has 
demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Mm. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so here in the midst of a, of a severe trial in Peter's life, Jesus says, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And Jesus is sure that his prayer for Peter, one of his sheep, is going to be answered. And uh, he expects him to turn again. And that's the thing that the, the true believer, when we go astray, we're going to be disciplined Christ is praying for us. We're going to be turned back to righteousness. And we see that great example with the Apostle Peter here, but also our minds go to King David, right? When he sinned, when he committed adultery, when he was really conspiring to murder Bathsheba's husband, right? Um, When the prophet approached him and called him to repentance, we see a turning back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And David talks about the, the difficulty even of that time and the the pressure and strain on his life until he finally repented. And uh, that's what God will do for the true believer. He, we are kept by God's power through faith for that salvation that, that's ready to be revealed at the last time. And so that's just a sampling of, of the scriptures. I, I don't know that I would say that's all of the scriptures that talk about the guarantee of our perseverance, but uh, it should be enough. If, if we just look at the word of God, we see that There is a promise in Scripture, there is a guarantee for those who are born again that they will persevere until the end, until that final salvation. They will be glorified if they've truly been called and justified by faith. Right. So with that, then we'll wrap up this section. And again, you know, as we will prepare for whenever the the next episode comes out we'll continue on in this discussion of eternal security and perseverance of the saints and rather than give the impression you know as we went through the positive scriptures and and then then also make the argument with the negative scriptures again we referenced hebrews 6 earlier and some of those other ones we're not trying to pit scripture against each other say hey we have this many verses that support eternal security to your that amount of verses that that go against it and so what we'll attempt to do in the next time and, and what the goal will be then is to look at those verses and, and dig into them and to also see what they truly mean then, that, that we're not giving the impression that Scripture fights against Scripture, that, that it works together, that we have this beautiful doctrine of eternal security and that properly understood all throughout Scripture, we see this promise. And in that, we can have such a great hope and, and really... Uh, a big encouragement in that. Great. So looking forward to next time. Sounds good. Well, thanks again, everyone for, for listening. And if you do again, enjoy this podcast, it's few episodes so far, please, um, like us on your, uh, device that you're listening and, uh, help share it. Thanks again. And God bless you all.